Uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 17 tonight. Really, I think the biggest part of tonight is going to be asking and answering some questions as we go. I have three or four chunks that I've broken this chapter down into, really primarily two parts. Uh, part one goes verses one through seven. Part two, verses eight through uh, 16, the end of the chapter. Um, in some ways, not only am I filling in for Scott tonight, but I, I want you to kind of get a sense of what the third through sixth graders are learning and how they're learning on Wednesday nights as well. So I'm, I'm teaching them in much the way that I'm teaching y'all tonight. So uh, it's kind of exposure on a couple of levels of what they're getting. Before we dig in, though, I'd like to pray for a pastor in Iran. Uh, some of y'all may have seen, they may, may see the news today about this pastor. Isn't anybody? Did anybody see that? Okay. It was on Fox News. Pastor Youssef Nadakani is uh, really, I guess, on trial potentially for his life if he will not renounce his faith in Christ. So um, I guess the issue is at some point the Iranian government believes that he was Muslim. So conversion is really the taboo. You know, if he's gone from being Muslim to Christian, that is in their eyes, a punishable by death offense. Daniel, come here. Come sit by Luke right here. So that's, um, that's something we need to have on our hearts tonight. I'd like, to, like for us to pray for Yusef Nadukani. He's got a, a family we want to pray for as well. We want to pray for his testimony because it, he has a, a wonderful but maybe uh, expensive opportunity to be salty and bright and aromatic right now. So let's pray for Pastor Yusef. Lord, tonight, a little church on the south side of Greenville in Texas, we want to lift up a pastor in Iran, a fellow brother who is fighting for his faith right now and is potentially going to lose his life over his faith in you. Uh, Lord, we pray that, that you'll use that for your own glory. Should he die, that he die um, with great gain of others coming to faith in Christ through his testimony, even unto death thankful for his willingness to testify to his faith in you, uh, even at great expense, and I pray that it'll be a sweet aroma. I pray that it'll be salty. I pray that it'll be especially bright in a really, really dark context. I pray that some of those men, our families, our officials, or whoever might be in the decision points in this process, that they will actually come under conviction about this story and this Savior, um, and about a, a scandal so great that it's worth dying for, and pray that you will uh, make much of yourself through this drama that's unfolding. Pray that it will embolden other brothers and sisters in the faith, not only in Iran, but in other Muslim countries, uh, that they will be willing to testify even unto death. Lord, I pray that tonight, that just this prayer as we lift up this pastor, that it will condition our hearts to the gravity of this call and this journey and the seriousness of what we're about, um, that we'll engage tonight as we should in a, in a way that would be appropriate in keeping with, in a manner worthy of, this gospel. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. I just have something I got to share with you. It's not really in keeping with the, the 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 Bible study, and it's not in keeping with what we just prayed. 
It's just funny, and I can't keep it to myself. So put this up if we can. My mother sent this to me from our, our newspaper back in Alexandria, Louisiana. Uh, it's a memoriam of Juanita Crum, Crumry, and uh, I'm not sure which one is Juanita, but we just thought it was just especially funny that that's the way they would mem- memorize or memorialize her. And I'm not sure if, if they didn't like her or what, but it was just funny. and has nothing to do with the, the, the study or anything. It's just something I had to share. So you can turn that off now. Okay. All right. Exodus chapter 17. What I'd like to do is read a section and then let's just deal with some questions. Okay, let's deal or start in verse 1. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Most of y'all have been on the journey these last few weeks since school um, started back up and we've been on these Wednesday night studies. For those of you who have, who have are kind of tuned into the story here since the last plague, which was the Passover, since the Exodus has sort of begun. Do you see any patterns to what's unfolding right here? And if you do, give me some references. I ask my third through sixth graders questions, and I'm going to ask y'all questions. So, okay, all right. What what references? I mean, what events can you think of that have been like that? Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Good. There's one that I'm thinking of too that's sort of in between those two things. Can you, does anybody know what it was? Not last week with We're Hungry, but the week before that, I think, I don't know time wise, or the, I guess the grumbling session before that was having to do with what? Anybody know? Bitter water, exactly. This water's bitter, we can't drink it. Just Here are those three accounts. I, I want to share them with you because they're just so similar. In chapter 14, verse 10, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That's the first occasion. Here's the second, chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. 
And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. That's the second event that comes to mind. The third is in chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifth fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. And then you know the next thing was that it started raining. God provided food in the form of manna raining bread, essentially. Now, what, what do you think those, those things have in common? Just draw out the things, the repeated details of those, the common elements of those three and then this, now this fourth event. Okay, not being content. Okay, resisted Moses. Okay, they, they grumbled against God and who else? Moses and Aaron. So you could say God's leadership and God in, in each of those accounts. They were, um, they were not content. They grumbled against God's leadership and against God. What else do you see that they have in common? Okay. Yeah, we made a huge mistake because things are difficult. Because it would have been easier back there where we were. We had meat pots. We had a job. <laughs> I mean, not a great job, but a job. It was a known quantity. We didn't have to depend on who? Didn't have to depend on God. I mean, there was no faith journey to it. It was you get up and make bricks and you get beat around a little bit and you eat your pot full of meat and you go to bed and you do it all over again the next day. Any other patterns that you can think of that are common to those four events? has to do with being dis, with not being content. Why were they not content? What? Judges? It is kind of like judges. We've been reading judges at home, and sort of this pattern in Israel is this faithlessness, faithfulness, faithlessness, faithlessness. So this is certainly a reflection of them being faithless. What, um, what other thing can you think of that, that is common to these four events? What is God doing in these four events? Huh? He's providing, but what's in front of that? There's a serious problem. Is God snoozing in that problem? I mean, we have to ask that question. I mean, that's the question that they're essentially going to ask. Is God even with us? And that's the problem that in these, each of these occasions have in common things that God allowed, an army with chariots to close in on them, bitter water. You can imagine bitter water. You can see it. You can touch it. You can swim in it, but you can't drink it. I mean, that would be a bummer. You're thirsty, but you can't drink it. And then they're hungry. I mean, really, all we're talking about here is these needs, these serious needs that God has somehow allowed and possibly even ordained. And then this last one where they're what? Thirsty. So here's my question for you. What might God be about when he's letting Israel go through these 
very similar situations where there's a problem, where there's grumbling. They grumble at their leadership. They grumble at God. And then God provides. What do you think God might be about in those occasions? What's he up to? Okay. 400 years worth of slavery. Yeah. Okay, what did he want them to know? In what, what's that theme in Exodus? That they may know that I am the Lord. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we have to ask the question. I mean, let's be real honest. If you're on the receiving end of these sort of scenarios, and now somehow you are privy to the information that we have, you could ask the question, is God just jacking around with them? I mean, really, if you're on the receiving end of being thirsty and all you got is bitter water, or you're on the receiving end of, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt, and then you got Pharaoh bearing down on you with his chariots. You're on the receiving end of, of um, being just flat-out hungry. You've run out of groceries. There's no Brookshire's around. You're a month and a half into it. You're starving like Marvin. There's no get it quick. There's no nothing. And then you're really thirsty and then there's water. You could ask the question, think, okay, is God just messing around with them? And where we have to land is realizing that God is teaching them something that they may know that He is the Lord. He's teaching them to depend on Him, and they're going to find something in that. Turn to James chapter 1. Keep your finger over there in Exodus, because we're obviously coming right back. Turn to James 1. Looking at verse 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. We could insert chariots bearing down on you. Thirsty, but no water to drink. Well, you got water you can look at. Shiny and wet, but you can't drink it. It's bitter water. Hungry, but you got nothing to eat. Uh, Thirsty, and you got nothing to drink. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, if, if you let this, this verse right here be informed by what's going on over here in Exodus chapter 17, how would you define steadfastness? This is so important that you get this. Somebody give it a shot. What is steadfastness for the believer? It's what? Trust, totally. Trust in who? Yeah. If, you, if all we had was the book of James in our Bible, we might walk away from this verse 2 saying, okay, we need to just man up when we go through these trials and knowing that God's making us steadfast somehow. I don't know what in the world's going on, but I'm somehow getting strengthened through this thing. But thankfully, we have over here Exodus chapter 17, which is a visual aid of this teaching over here in James that says, hey, man, steadfastness is trusting God. That's where steadfastness comes from. So when we go through our versions of chariots bearing down on us, of being thirsty and having nothing but bitter water, being hungry, having nothing to eat, being thirsty, God is developing a dependence and a trust in Him with us. What are our versions of chariots bearing down on us? Throw some things down there. Just, just throw them out there. What are our versions of being thirsty or hungry? 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah, poor. <laughs> Smelly. You got all kinds of things you can... You can uh... Yeah. <laughs> and it's multiplied exponentially when you start talking number three. You're outnumbered. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. Well, good. Yeah. Right. Our versions of this. They're not quite as scary as this. I mean, I haven't gone without water in some time. Our food... You might not believe it, but I'm not starved. I know it's hard to believe. Um, but, I mean, we have our versions of these things. What are some others? Throw them out there. Health issues, okay. All right, the chariot's bearing down, man. Looks like the, something bad is about to happen. And, man, there's some, some really heartbreaking, scary things that can come about. What else? Okay, unemployment, losing your job, losing your livelihood, and all that goes with that. Income, provision. What else? Okay, all right. There are lots that go with that. I mean, you're thinking about what could happen, thinking about the kids, thinking about how you're going to pay for all of it. I mean, all these things, I'm sure, are connected to that. Does anybody have loneliness? Anybody ever feel loneliness? Can you feel lonely in a house full of people? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something you could add in there. What? What you got? Bad hair day? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting with you. Uh, what, what were you going to say? You said something, but I didn't hear you. What was it? What's... I can feel lonely in a house full of people. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. All right. Good. Not good that you feel lonely, but good that you... Yeah. Okay. All right. We can feel lonely even as a sixth grader. Definitely. Fifth grader, fourth. I'm sorry. What else? What are some other? Okay. Okay. Anybody have any work issues ever? Everything okay? Always, it would. I mean, work would never be in this list here. Dynamics between people in the workplace, huh? Okay. All right. All right. Just feelings of being discontent, or we're talking about we're talking about those things that are sort of our versions of being thirsty, or okay. All right. We could probably spend the rest of the night sort of personalizing this list of things that would be our versions of armies bearing down on us, bitter water, hunger, or no water. 
And I think it's a worthwhile venture for us to, for you to continue that conversation as families to go, okay, what's our list? And then land in the place to go, why would God let them go through these things so that they could learn to trust him? Because you can't learn to trust him except that you have occasions of serious need and fear and doubt and difficulty. You just can't. You can't have steadfastness produced in your life without these occasions where you run out. You've reached the end of yourself. I mean, hopefully you've been acquainted with an occasion like that before. And you need to realize God uses that for his own glory and to create trust and dependence in you and ultimately steadfastness. Okay? All right. Now we'll move on to verse 5. Let me get back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 17, verse 5. This is the second section. Actually, not part two, but the second chunk that we're going to bite off. Verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord even among us or not? All right, this is a key little section right here. Now, let me ask this question. Some of what I do in Bible study is I just share with you my questions, and we explore them together. So this is one of the questions that I've got, is why did he tell Moses to take some of the elders of Israel with him? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Say that again? Maybe. That's that's an, uh, an interesting thought that I hadn't thought. Say that again. Plurality? Man, I like that answer. Anybody else? Witnesses? Okay. Yeah, just, hey, where'd that come from? Those guys can say, well, that's where it came from. Here's how that happened. Here's how it went down. Yeah. Okay. All right. Kind of a logistical reason. Okay. I, it may have been a combination of all of those. We don't really have an explanation. All we know is that he didn't send Moses off by himself. And he sent the elders or the appointed leaders that led with him of Israel to go with him. Hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. It may be kind of a disbursement of use. It's not all on Moses. It's a disbursement of God used these men to provide water. Are you saying it kind of took some of the... That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that they, they don't see Moses as the instrument, but they see these men were off part of this. Okay. What? Well, here's who I think they are. Here's who I think they are. Numbers chapter 11 tells us why Moses had elders and, what, and who they were specifically. Listen to this passage. You don't need to turn there. You can just listen. This is why I think he took them with him. All we can know is we can kind of sort this thing out with other scripture. 
So this Numbers chapter 11 may shed light on that question. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Now this is sort of some parallel details of the Exodus journey. Okay, this is where quail is provided. All right. Now the rabble was or the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. They're sick and tired of manna. They've had manna gumbo, manna kebab, manna creole. I mean, they've had every form that Bubba Gump manna could think of. Okay, the rabble was among them, had a strong craving. Uh, Let me see where I was. Verse 6. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. All right, this stuff was good, but they were tired of it. You imagine eating Cheerios every day or something like that, every meal. Now, the manna was like coriander seed, in case we all forgot, and its appearance was like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. That is the biblical version of what I just said. They just did everything they could think of. Bubba Gump, fried shrimp, or did everything he could think of with shrimp. That's what these guys did with manna. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you dealt ill with your servant? All right, Moses, man, I'm telling you, I don't care what kind of church a pastor or group of pastors or elders leads, their church is not as bad as as Israel was. I mean, there's the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church now that should make every pastor sort of relieved. Anytime we read about Moses leading the nation of Israel, these guys were a mess. And Moses is like, why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? I mean, that's Moses saying, I am seriously beat down. Did I conceive this people? I mean, this is Moses just shooting straight with God. Did I conceive this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us... I just wonder if he didn't kind of give a little baby voice. Give us meat that we may eat. I mean, I I would have. I wonder if he did I'm not able to carry this people alone. The burden is just too daggum heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight that I may not see my wretchedness. He's like, okay, (laughs) this job is really hard. I'm about to find my Harry Carey knife. Jewish version of that. I don't know what it would, Harry Carey knife or something. And I'm about to finish myself off, you know. So the Lord said to Moses, All right, hang in there, Moses. I got good news for you. Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Moses, I'm not going to let you do this thing alone. In fact, you can't go it alone. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that's on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Now, these elders are not a carbon copy of New Testament elders, but I think there are a lot of similarities about this need for Moses to have men come alongside him. 
it just seems especially familiar. Not looking at it like, hey, I'm Moses, but I'm seeing some of the problems that he deals with as some of the burdens that the elders carry as we walk with people. And I cannot imagine a single pastor model surviving. And I wonder if that's not why guys jump from church to church every few years. And the ones that don't, they must be surrounded by some men that are bearing that burden with them. Thankfully, we have such a gracious God that he doesn't let us go this thing alone. And that's why I'm convinced that he said, send some of those elders with you. So you go strike that rock. You're not going to have to do it alone. I got some men that are going to go with you. And they're going to share this burden for this thirsty, grumbling, high-maintenance people with you. Man, what a good God. <laughs> that's good, um, good provision right there for God's leadership. Now, back in Exodus. A question from verse 7 that I want us to just consider. Kind of summarizing the way they tested the Lord, they sort of, by the way they acted, this is the question of how they're, or kind of the summarizing how they're acting. Is the Lord among us or not? Now, what are some of the things that had been done for them up to this point? Okay, all right. Back up in front of that. Plagues, okay? Like crazy plagues. I mean, not like small things. Big things, okay? Parting the Red Sea. That's not a small thing, I don't think. I mean, that's a seriously big thing. If we just deal with the four things that we talked about tonight, parting the Red Sea while the chariots are bearing down, um, the water situation, what did he do with the water? Huh? I know. What? Well, he already parted that. All right. What was the second thing with this bitter water? What did he do? Threw a log in there. It took the bitterness out of it. Okay. That's provision. All right. The next thing, you get up in the morning and what's laying on the ground everywhere? Breakfast. Lunch and dinner, but <laughs> breakfast. Right there. And then even on Saturday, I'm even going to take care of you on, or excuse me, on Friday, I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. On Saturday, where you don't even have to go gather on Saturday. In fact, you go gather up on Friday and it's going to last through till, you get a double portion, it's going to last you through till Sunday. I mean, seriously, how could they ask this question? Is the Lord among us or not? I mean, seriously, you just have to scratch your head and say, what a mess. This people is a serious mess. In fact, their own people, I would say this would be at least 500 years later, possibly as late as 1,100 years later. I don't know who wrote Psalm 95. It doesn't tell us, but listen to this. This is Psalm 95. So this is written 500 to 1,100 years later, somewhere in that span of time by their own people looking back at their own people. Okay, this is what they say. God is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts, as at Meribah, <laughs> where our knuckleheaded great-great-great-grandfather and grandmother grumbled, or on the day at Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work... For 40 years, I loathed this generation 
and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways, despite the fact that I've shown them over and over and over and over again. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's a place where you live. If you live in that place, is the Lord among us or not? If you're asking that question every time you got chariots bearing down, you got conflict at work, you got difficulty at home, you got a bad report from the doctor, you got bitter water or no water or no food, is the Lord among us or not? Man, you're not going to enter his rest. You're going to live in what, what Scott said, fear. You're not going to live in a place of rest. These things were written down for our instruction so that we don't have to live in that place. And we can look in the pattern here. Their own people are writing songs about how ridiculous their own people were 500 to 11 years, 1,100 years earlier. Maybe in 1,000, 500 to 1,000 years earlier. What a bunch of boneheads. I mean, they're looking back saying, look at what all God did. He did this, this, and this. And they're sitting around saying, is the Lord among us or not? They're writing songs about how foolish that is. So if you get into a place where you're saying, is the Lord among us or not? What should you do? You should look back and see what all God has done for you and your family and for you and your people. That's why it's really cool if you're walking in community and you're seeing what God is doing in other people's families too because you get to enjoy what God's done there and experience it too. And it becomes part of your data as you look back and say, I saw God provide for them. So I don't have to ask that question, is God even among us? Of course he is. Is you crazy? Don't ask that question. We're talking about Yahweh. Man, we're talking about a God that provides. Now, Last question before we move on to part two. Is there anything familiar about the rock being struck to you and water pouring forth? Anything vaguely familiar to you about that? Okay, explain that. Getting stabbed? Okay. Okay. All right. I'm not sure that I would land on the getting stabbed part, but I would definitely land on Christ. And I think there's a, Paul landed there too. And I think there's precedent for that, that this thing that happened in the wilderness was a type of what was to happen in Christ. In fact, Paul, you can jot this down, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's speaking about what we're studying in Exodus. That's who our fathers are. He's referring back to those guys at this point, 1,500 years earlier. And all were baptized into the Moses, in, or they passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Now, certainly, this was a physical rock at Horeb that was struck with a physical stick that poured forth physical H2O, but it's to teach these people about what they would see later in Christ, his provision, and this flowing living water that would pour forth from Christ when he struck. Who is the living water? It's the Holy Spirit is going to be this. Strike Christ, and what happens? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, man, and he's going to come comfort you and counsel you and fill you, in fact. Man, this, this, this should be very familiar to us because it's a type of the gospel. 
That's where these guys should have seen the cross and going, oh, yeah. I remember when Moses struck the rock and water poured forth, and I'm seeing Christ getting struck, and I'm seeing this rivers of living water coming out of him, and the Holy Spirit poured out on his people at Pentecost. That should be familiar to us, at least. Okay, now part two, verses 8 through 13. This is sort of the second part of the story. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses... Kids, I want you all to listen to this. This is so easy to visualize. Okay? Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed... Okay, so he's got the staff of God in his hand. This, you, know, you know what a staff is, right, Luke? You know what a staff is? What? Stick. Yeah, like a stick. He's got this staff. It's the same one that turned into a snake. He's got this up in his hand, and Israel prevailed whenever he held it in the air. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. You know, you know that had been weird when he's seeing it. When he's starting to see that. I mean, he's holding that up, and man, they're kicking some behind. He can see the whole thing unfold, and his arms start getting tired, and then they start getting there behind and hand it to him, and he's like, oh, let me get it back up, and they start whipping some booty again, and then before long, he's like, hey, look at that. Hey, look at that. I mean, I, it would have been tempting, wouldn't it, just to go, oh, 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 go up. Hey, I mean, it was crazy how dependent this battle was on him holding this staff up. It's crazy. So Moses' hand grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. All right? There are no lazy boys, just a big rock. Sit down right here, Moses. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Okay. What was the success of the battle dependent upon, Will? Will? They're winning. What was the success of the battle dependent on? They're losing. They're winning. So what's the success of the battle dependent on? What do you think, Luke? Daniel, what do you think? Okay, well, yeah, it depending on winning, but well, what is the success of the battle dependent on? Okay, adults, adults, the staff being held high. You said that. Luke totally said that. It was dependent on the staff being lifted by God's ordained leadership. The success of the people was dependent on God's ordained leadership lifting the staff. Now, what happened when he got tuckered? Will, what happened when he got tuckered? Y'all answer me if we were sitting out there. What, Daniel? He sat on a rock, but what happened to the people fighting? What do you think, Will? They started losing when he got tired. If he dropped his hands, they started losing. So how was he able to keep the staff lifted? Brian? Well, yeah, they want to win, but how was he able to keep the staff lifted? No, how was he able to lift it up? He starts getting tuckered. Oh, can somebody help me? 
Tucker tired. He's getting tired. He needs some help. Two guys are going to help him. Aaron and her. That's the way he's able to keep that thing lifted up as his buddies come alongside him and say, here, let me hold your arms up. I'm going to help you. So how dependent was the success of the people's fight on the leadership working together? All right, we're taking some of the details out and asking an important question. How dependent was the success of the people's fight on the leadership working together? Well, yeah, there's a difference between winning or losing. So if the leadership wasn't working together, were they winning? No, no. The people were out there waging war. And if Moses and Aaron and Hur weren't holding this staff high, then the people were losing. That's how dependent God's people were here on the leadership working together. What could keep God's leadership from working together in this context? Ser- Let's talk about it, people. Seriously. What could keep them from working together? Huh? Tension? What if Aaron and her said, Moses, you remember how you were kind of sharp-tongued with me yesterday? I'm going to sit here and I'm going to critique you instead of helping you. I mean, could they do that? Do they have feelings? Aaron and her, right? But what's at stake? The people in their battle. Aaron and her better have thick skin. And Moses better not have a sharp tongue. Or if he does, he better be quick to ask for forgiveness. They got to keep a short account with each other because the people's fight is at stake. I mean, there's so much that can happen. Give me any three people in a period of time. And you got, you got to deal with this question. Two people in marriage, right? I mean, how easy is this for the battle to be messed up? Let's make this personal at home. How easy is it for mom and dad to get crossways with each other? Easy? What happens to the kids when mom and dad are crossways with each other? They're losing the battle is what's happening. I mean, do you see that at a home level? You can see it at a church level. Could you imagine a church? Anybody ever been in a church where the leadership is crossways with each other? Y'all get confused with mom and dad? That's what I'm saying. Did Luke and, his, and the siblings get confused when y'all aren't firing on all cylinders? Oh, well. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It's crisis when you're a kid and mom and dad aren't firing on all cylinders. And it's crisis in the church when elders aren't working together, or elders and deacons aren't working together, or the pastor's not working together with his leadership, Right? There's some serious principles to be applied right here. So how can the people on the field foster what's going on with Aaron, her, and Moses? If you were on the field, what would you be doing? I mean, you're fighting. Yeah, or you're down there fighting, and you look up there, and you see Aaron has got a hurt, feeling, hurt look on his face, and he's sitting like this, and Moses' his arm's getting down on that side. You be- Get up, Aaron. There's too much at stake. Don't be a baby. Seriously, wouldn't you? I mean, what else would you be doing? Seriously, you're down there hooking and jabbing with the Malachites. Boy, mm-mm. you're fighting. You look up there and you see them crossways. What would you be doing? You're fighting. What are you doing? What? Okay, you're, but 
Right. But what are you going to be doing if you're down there fighting and you look up and see Moses, Aaron, and her not firing on all cylinders and not lifting that staff up high? What are you going to be doing? You'll be losing, but what are you going to do? You're going to look for your exit, but practically, what are God's people? <laughs> You're going AWOL. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what I'm looking for is I'm looking for, what I'm fishing for so desperately here is for somebody to go, man, I'm going to be praying for those guys. Seriously. I'm going to tell you right now, the devil would like nothing more than mom and dad to be crossways with each other. Because it can disassemble a family. He would like nothing more than for elders to be crossways with each other, deacons to be crossways with each other, because it will disassemble a people. I mean, we got to be bathing our leadership in prayer. I'm begging you for it. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, something I thought was funny is that they named the place where this happened, Masa and Meribah, they gave it a name. Masa means testing and Meribah means quarreling. Moses gave it that name. The places where I've had crisis with people, I really don't want to remember, but it seems that God wants us to remember those things. What, what did they call Rahab? Rahab the converted? What did they call Rahab? Right? There's something to being, having an awareness of that place where you showed you're behind or that place that you were rescued from. Been the horses behind. Because then you realize your desperate need for prayer and your desperate need to pray. You need to be prayed for and you need to be lifting others up. There's something to this. And then also, you're never going to ask the question, is the Lord among us or not? Because you're going, man, <laughs> by his grace and mercy, I don't live there anymore. Man, there's something to that. We should all have our version of Rahab the prostitute or our version of, remember Masa or Meribah? Because if you forget your Masa or Meribah, you're going to be great at remembering everybody else's. Trust me. If you forget the fact that you are Rahab the something, you got <laughs> everybody else, you know who they, that their, their things are, but you've forgotten who what yours is. You're going to be really hard to live with. When everybody remembers their Masa and their Meribahs and their Rahab the blank, whatever your thing was you're delivered from, then you're talking about a low, humble, teachable, responsive, awestruck people that are all too busy looking up to go critical on each other. I think there's something to that. Now, last thing. We've got a couple minutes left. What could keep God's leadership from working together? Go back to Moses, Aaron, and her. What, what was going on with Moses whenever he started lowering the staff? Fatigue. I'm going to tell you right now, shepherds who lead families, and I'm talking functional shepherds too, moms or shepherds, fathers who lead families, there will be times where you'll experience fatigue. Elders, there will be times you experience fatigue. And the last thing you need when you're experiencing fatigue is for someone to sit down and then assume the seat of critic 
and comment on your form and how you're holding the staff up or not. What you need is someone to come alongside and say, bro, let me help you. I'm going to grab this with you. That's a big difference. Kids, you got to understand that. There are going to be a time likely, especially boys, possibly the girls, where you will be a functional shepherd and you're going to know the fatigue of leadership. And the fatigue of leadership is not to be met with, well, put that staff down. (laughs) That's not important. The staff has to be lifted. And the way, what should be the response there is God's people come alongside and say, I'm going to help you lift it, bro. Fatigue is part of it, and it happens to all of us. Appropriate response is to help. The last couple of verses, verse 14 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord, will have, or the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This people and this people have to learn the Lord is our banner. We all have masses, maribas. We all have times where we grumble. We all have times of fatigue. We all have times of being thirsty. This is not just their story. This is our story. And the lesson that we have to learn from all of these details, from theirs and from ours, is the Lord is our banner. He's all we got. He's everything we got. Emphasis on bad, with bad grammar. He's all we got. And he's all we need. And he's enough. We've got to learn that. I'm thankful for these stories because if we climb into them and we get thirsty with them, we realize we're pretty good grumblers too. And they don't look so ridiculous. We realize how much we need Jesus every moment. That's good medicine. Anybody have any final thoughts? Y'all normally get a sermon on Wednesday night? You probably do know it's got. I miss being in here. I'm thankful to be with the third through sixth graders. But I miss being in here. All right, let me pray. God, I'm thankful for this people. I'm thankful that we have a battle worth fighting. I'm thankful that we serve alongside men like this pastor that we prayed for at the beginning of this evening. Lord, I'm thankful that we have men that are leading and serving this church as deacons and elders, shepherds that are serving the homes that are connected, the families that are connected to this church. Lord, I pray that as we experience fatigue, our thirst, our hunger, our frustration in leading difficult people, as we experience all these details that we've kind of connected to in these stories, in these previous chapters, and in this chapter, that we can learn that you are our banner that we can hold you high as all we've got, everything we've got, and sufficient. Thankful that you've recorded these things for our instruction. And thankful, too, that we have plenty of water flowing because our rock was struck at Calvary. Thankful that he is now seated at your right hand as ruler forever, heir of all things. We enjoy him tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Thank you all. Good night.